We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go! Episode 275 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, March 21st, 2022. It is the first full day of spring in the year 2022. Winter, finally, mercifully, is over. It is done. No more winter, at least not for a while. Uh, We have started to have wonderful weather days in the Washington, D.C. area. That is a good thing. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Uh, The NCAA tournament has been wonderful. I tell you, the beauty of the NCAA tournament is that no matter the state of college basketball, the tournament pretty much always delivers in terms of excitement and drama and upsets. So many good games through two rounds of this year's NCAA tournament. So many upsets in terms of seeding through two rounds of this year's NCAA tournament. Now, sadly, anything close to representation of our region, the mid-Atlantic region in the NCAA tournament, that was over. Uh, number 11 seeded Virginia Tech eliminated in the first round. Number 12 seeded Richmond eliminated in the second round. But the Sweet 16 features four double-digit seeds, including, incredibly, 15-seeded St. Peter's. The Peacocks cannot be stopped. What a story the Peacocks have been. Speaking of stories, we on this Monday have a big story regarding Maryland basketball. Multiple reports that the Terrapins are hiring Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard as Terps head coach. Uh, Jeff Ehrman, friend of the Al Galdi podcast, publisher of InsideMDSports.com, he very early on Monday morning reported that Maryland will announce the hiring of Kevin Willard as Terps head coach on Monday morning and will introduce Willard at a press conference on Tuesday. So Kevin Willard, is he the man who will take the Terps back to the promised land? Uh, Kevin Willard is an uninspiring hire, okay? Let's just be honest about this. But the thing is, I'm not sure who would have been an inspiring hire in terms of people who were being considered by Maryland. The Terps did not want to dance 
with Rick Pitino. I would have welcomed that. The Terps did not want to do that. Maryland clearly was not interested in taking whatever heat the school would have taken for hiring Rick Pitino away from Iona. And so it has felt for a while like a Kevin Willard type would end up getting the Maryland head coaching job. Look, Kevin Willard is not a bad head coach, but he's not someone who's going to like instantly inject Maryland basketball with a lot of excitement. And that's really what the program needs right now. Like, yes, the Terps need to win first and foremost, but the Terps also desperately need excitement, need juice, need reason for people to care. And hiring Kevin Willard on its own is not going to create that excitement. But like anything else, if he wins, then eventually the excitement will come. Anyway, good to have you with us on this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We have a lot to discuss, as is usually the case on a Monday show. I have a lot of commander's content for you on the show. Ron Rivera over the last few days has opened up about why the commanders traded for Carson Wentz. What Ron has had to say is interesting and notable and worth exploring because what Ron has had to say has included Joe Gibbs, has included analytics, which, you know, got my attention, has included conversations with people who know Carson Wentz well. Could it be that all of these Carson Wentz red flags are overblown? Next segment, I'll get into all of this. Uh, Also, Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean, bitter Brandon Bean, Uh, he on Friday fired shots at the commanders over the J.D. McKissick controversy. Didn't fire any shots at McKissick or his agents, but fired shots at the commanders. I have plenty to say about that. And I will talk about a major sponsor dropping the commanders, apparently due to the workplace misconduct scandal. Anheuser-Busch, a longtime sponsor of the team now known as the commanders, now out on the commanders. Now, we can't say with certainty that the workplace misconduct scandal is the reason, but that certainly appears to be the reason, and the implications of this could be huge. Uh, Also on the show, I will talk Capitals. Two games for the Caps over the weekend, a 4-3 shootout win at the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes on Friday night, and a 3-2 loss to the Dallas Stars at Capital Win Arena on Sunday evening. More greatness from the great eight, Alex Ovechkin, including yet another milestone goal on Sunday evening. I will talk Wizards, two games for the Wiz over the weekend, a 197 loss at the New York Knicks on Friday night, and a 127-119 win over LeBron James. Yes, Bradbron at the Los Angeles Lakers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. The Wizards staged a major fourth quarter comeback in each game, only won the game against the Lakers, but that was some win for the Wiz. Uh, I will talk Nationals. We have our first significant injury news at Nat Spring Training, and the news is more bad news for Carter Keboom. And I will talk Virginia Tech basketball off the end of the number 11 seeded Hokie season via their loss to number six seeded Texas. 81 73 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on Friday in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to be a sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast. 
advertising on the Al Galdi podcast works and gets results and is very affordable. That's the beauty of podcast advertising as opposed to radio advertising. Bang for your buck. Don't overpay for ads that don't do anything for you. So hit us up, see what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from David Meadows on the commander's trading for Carson Wentz. Right, David, I understand what you mean by Ron Rivera continuously talking about a need for a franchise quarterback and getting himself into a bit of a pickle when a franchise quarterback looked like he was not available. However, if Ron, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney came to realize that Taylor Heineke or rookie or any other quarterback who was actually available was not going to be able to produce anything resembling a high-quality season, then I trust the team's opinion that Carson Wentz may be able to help us have that quality season. There were only three quarterbacks available who could have changed the face of the franchise. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. If we were not able to get any of those three, then I have to trust that the brains of our commander's operation are trying to do the best they can to produce a winning team on the field. And I will never ask anything more of them than to do that. If it ends up blowing up in their faces, then we can all look back with our cynical eye and point and say, we told you so, but I am willing to give them a chance. Maybe, just maybe, it might work out. Nah, LOL. Uh, David, thank you for that email. So Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson, now all officially off the board. The Deshaun Watson news on Friday was a whopper, wasn't it? The Houston Texans on Friday agreeing to trade Watson to the Cleveland Browns. The terms of the trade really weren't that steep. Uh, The Texans sent Deshaun Watson and a 2024 fifth round pick to the Browns for a 2022 first round pick, a 2023 first round pick, a 2024 first round pick, a 2023 third round pick, and a 2024 fourth round pick. So the Browns to get Watson gave up three ones, a three and a four, and also got back a five. I mean, if you're just looking at the trade compensation, that's not the all-time astronomical price that many anticipated for Watson. Like, from a commander's standpoint, I would have done that trade in a heartbeat in terms of the football. Three ones, a three, and a four for Watson, and you also get back a five. However, there's a lot more to the Deshaun Watson trade than just the trade compensation, including the contract. How about the contract that the Browns are giving Deshaun Watson? The Browns reportedly are giving Deshaun Watson a new contract. The contract is a five-year, $230 million contract that is fully guaranteed. Yes, fully guaranteed. MLB, the NBA and the NHL all have guaranteed contracts. The NFL, which is by far the most successful sports league in North America, does not have guaranteed contracts. But the Deshaun Watson contract with the Browns to be a guaranteed contract, five years, $230 million, all of the money guaranteed. Uh, A lot of people think that this contract could be a game changer in terms of more NFL contracts being guaranteed contracts. Now, I'll believe that when I see that because people said the exact same thing about Kirk Cousins' fully guaranteed contract 
with the Minnesota Vikings in March 2018. And that contract ended up not being the game changer that people thought that the contract would be. So let's see if the Deshaun Watson contract proves to be a game changer. But understand that Watson didn't have to get a new contract. Watson in September 2020 signed a four-year $156 million contract extension that was to take him through the 2025 season. The Browns pretty clearly are giving Watson a new contract in order to entice him to choose them over other teams as Watson, remember, had a no-trade clause in that contract extension with the Texans. There's also this with the new Deshaun Watson contract. The contract reportedly includes a base salary for the 2022 season of just a million dollars. His base salary for the 2022 season under his previous contract was $35 million. Why was Watson's base salary for the 2022 season drastically reduced? Well, the answer is this. So that he would lose less money if he is suspended during the 2022 season. Watson, under his previous contract, would have lost $1.94 million for every game for which he was suspended. Watson, under his new contract, would lose $55,556 for every game for which he is suspended. You talk about doing all that you can contractually to make a player happy. That is precisely what the Browns have done for Deshaun Watson. Look, I wanted the commanders in on Deshaun Watson if he wasn't criminally charged, and he hasn't been criminally charged. But I also wanted the commanders in on Watson if the team felt comfortable that he wasn't guilty of all that he was accused of doing via these 22 civil lawsuits from massage therapists. Like, if criminal charges were not pursued and criminal charges are not being pursued, but the commanders still felt like Deshaun Watson was probably guilty of that of which he has been accused, then no, I did not want the commanders trading for Deshaun Watson. But if the commanders felt like, well, you know, there's more here than people understand, then I was open to the commanders making this trade. My guess is that the commanders tapped out on Deshaun Watson for a variety of reasons, including that the commanders did not believe that he would choose them over other teams. But if a prerequisite for choosing a team was it giving him a new contract like the one that the Browns are giving him, boy, that truly takes some chutzpah, doesn't it? Given that this guy didn't play at all this past season due to 22 civil lawsuits alleging a wide range of actions, including sexual assault. Uh, email from Philip C. on the commanders potentially being featured on HBO's Hard Knocks. Writes Philip, it just occurred to me that it's highly likely that this year is finally the year that Washington is featured on Hard Knocks. Interestingly, if this were to pass, it would also be two consecutive years of Carson Wentz being involved with Hard Knocks. I don't see any possible way that HBO walks away from this juicy little nugget of a franchise story. Just hope we get a lot of vigorous F-bombs from Ron Rivera. Uh, thank you for the email, Philip. Yes, the more F-bombs from Don Ron, the better. I mean, at some point, the commanders are going to be on Hard Knocks. The team can't go forever without being on Hard Knocks. You know, Hard Knocks started with the Baltimore Ravens in 2001. Now, there hasn't been a Hard Knocks every year since then, but there has been at least one Hard Knocks in most years since then. And yet the team, now known as the Commanders, has never been featured on Hard Knocks. Somehow, some way, the team has avoided being on Hard Knocks 
for all of these years. We know that that won't last forever. Maybe Philip C. is right, and maybe this is the year in which the franchise known as the Commanders now uh, finally is featured on Hard Knocks. Well, hopefully the Commanders not having a franchise quarterback won't last for the rest of time. Uh, Their hope is that Carson Wentz is that guy. Will he prove to be that guy? Well, Ron Rivera, over the last few days, has opened up about why he traded for Carson. There's a lot to go through. Go through it. I shall after this. The Al Galdi podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, we all deserve to be happy, but not everyone is happy. Is there something interfering with your happiness or something that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Uh, are you or someone you care about dealing with depression or struggling with anxiety? Uh, this is where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Now, understand, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. Uh, BetterHelp is not self-help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. Uh, BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. Uh, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Uh, go to BetterHelp.com slash Galdi. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I. And you'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. Yes, 10% off an entire month. Just go to BetterHelp.com slash Galdi and get 10% off your first month. Uh, Look, the stigma of depression and anxiety is gone. Uh, I know plenty of people who've dealt with depression and or anxiety. Heck, sports are filled with people who've gone public with their mental health struggles. Uh, Mark Rippon, John Patterson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Michael Phelps, Serena Williams, Ronda Rousey. You deserve to be happy. Get help. Get better help. Go to betterhelp.com slash Galdi. That's betterhelp.com slash Galdi. All right. So when it came to the commanders over the weekend, uh, no big news in terms of player acquisitions, but we did have quite a few commanders developments. And over the course of the next few segments, we'll be going through those developments. So we're going to begin with this development. Uh, Ron Rivera opening up about the commander's trade for quarterback Carson Wentz. So the commanders agreed with the Indianapolis Colts on the trade for Carson Wentz on March 9th. Uh, We spent eight days analyzing, dissecting, discussing the trade until we heard anything of true substance from Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera. Uh, Many of us spent those eight days agonizing over the trade until we heard anything of true substance from Carson Wentz and Ron Rivera. Well, we, over the last few days now, have heard from Carson and Ron. Carson did 
his introductory press conference this past Thursday morning. Uh, It was a press conference in which he, to me, did a really good job of answering questions about his many red flags. Uh, Ron spoke via a side session with reporters last Thursday morning, shortly after Carson's introductory press conference, and Ron has spoken with various reporters one-on-one. And so what we now have is the commander's side of the story. Now, whether we should buy fully into every aspect of the commander's side of the story certainly can be debated. But in hearing from Carson, and especially in hearing from Ron, we do now have reason to feel better about the trade. Again, whether you want to accept these reasons is up to you. But it has been interesting to me to hear the commander's side of the story. So I, on Friday's show, episode 274, talked extensively about Carson Wentz's introductory press conference. What I want to do in this segment is focus on Ron Rivera having opened up in recent days about the trade for Carson Wentz. Uh, Like I said, Ron spoke via a side session with reporters last Thursday morning, shortly after Carson's introductory press conference. The audio of what Ron said has become available in recent days, and so I have that audio for you here in this segment. Additionally, multiple Commanders insiders have spoken with Ron Rivera. Uh, ben Standig of The Athletic spoke with Ron Rivera. John Kime of ESPN spoke with Ron Rivera. Uh, Kime wrote an article that came out on Saturday morning headline, quote, how Joe Gibbs film study and analytics led the Washington commanders to Carson Wentz, end quote. And there have been some things from both Ben and John involving Ron Rivera opening up about the trade. So you heard the name Joe Gibbs. Yes, Joe Gibbs played a role in the commander's trading for Carson Wentz. Now, this is not the first time that Joe Gibbs has come up with Ron Rivera regarding Ron as Washington head coach. Kime in January 2020 reported that Joe told Dan Snyder to hire Ron Rivera shortly after Ron was fired as Carolina Panthers head coach in December 2019. Quote, one source involved in the hiring said former Redskins coach Joe Gibbs told Snyder, go get Rivera. Snyder contacted Rivera's agent, Frank Bauer, within a day or two after the firing. They spoke on three consecutive days. Rivera, who received a five-year deal, met with Gibbs, who one source said had a tremendous influence on this process End quote. So we know that Joe Gibbs likes Ron Rivera and vice versa. And so with that as a backdrop, consider the following. Ron Rivera met with Joe Gibbs this past January. Uh, John Kimes' article included the following. Quote, in January, Rivera flew to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit with Gibbs. Rivera spent half a day with Gibbs with up to two hours devoted to one topic, finding a quarterback. Gibbs told him, how he'd put up a wish list, numbering each quarterback in order of desire. Gibbs told him how he'd go down the list one at a time until they found their guy. They talked about what Gibbs looked for in a quarterback. Gibbs relayed how he loved Joe Theismann's leadership, but his next two Super Bowl quarterbacks were bigger, Doug Williams and Mark Rippon. One thing we talked about was size, so they had that ability to look over the top, Rivera said. If he's shorter... You have to make sure they have great movement skills. After that meeting, Rivera put down the traits they wanted. Size, athletic traits, arm talent, and quick twitch throws. Then they looked to see who checked the most boxes. While size was important, they didn't want to overlook someone who wasn't at the desired height of six foot three. But if a QB didn't have the height, he had to show good pocket movement and the ability to find 
and create passing lanes. That led them to a list of eight quarterbacks, including Houston's Deshaun Watson. At one point, they even wondered, would Andrew Luck, the retired former Colt, want to play again? That went nowhere. At some point before the combine, they called Indianapolis about Wentz and were told he wasn't available. Then at the combine, after talking to other teams, they learned Wentz was in play. End quote. So there's a lot in that passage to be thinking about as a Commanders fan. You know, it's tricky to me with Joe Gibbs. On the one hand, he's, of course, the greatest head coach in the history of the franchise, now known as the Commanders. Heck, he's probably the single most important person in the history of the franchise, now known as the Commanders. And you could argue that he's the single most important person in the history of Washington, D.C. sports. But on the other hand, uh, Joe Gibbs now is 81, and he hasn't coached in the NFL since the 2007 season. 2007 was 15 years ago now. You know, all due respect to Joe Gibbs, but should he in 2022 uh, be having a major influence on commander's football operations? I mean, the thing with quarterbacks needing to be tall is an antiquated thing. Uh, There have been plenty of good quarterbacks in recent NFL history who have not been tall to where quarterback height now is widely regarded as overrated. Now, in fairness to Joe Gibbs and Ron Rivera, kind of the article regarding the commanders does note that, quote, while size was important, they didn't want to overlook someone who wasn't at the desired height of six foot three, end quote. So it's not like Ron automatically disqualified from his quarterback search any quarterback who wasn't at least six three. And I'll totally concede that, you know, ideally your quarterback is tall. You would prefer for your quarterback to be tall as opposed to being short. But, you know, as much as we all love Coach Joe, I think that it's really important not to get too sucked into the mindset of, well, if Joe says it, then it must be true. I mean, again, he hasn't coached in the NFL since the 2007 season. That's a long time ago, especially by NFL standards. Uh, Carson Wentz is listed by the commanders as being 6'5 and 237 pounds. I mean, that is great size for a quarterback. If you were constructing a quarterback in a lab, 6'5", 237 would be like your ideal dimensions for the quarterback. But as we've come to know with the quarterback position, size only matters so much, okay? Plenty of smaller quarterbacks have done well in recent NFL history, right? See Drew Brees, see Russell Wilson, see Kyler Murray. So I just hope that Ron Rivera didn't like mark out for Carson Wentz's size and didn't put too much stock in Carson's size. I mean, this isn't, you know, a bodybuilding contest, right? This is playing quarterback in the NFL. So it's not necessarily the case that Ron marked out for Carson's size, but I think that is something to keep in the back of your mind. Like the size thing should only go so far. Also in that passage, of course, was the Andrew Luck thing. And how about that? That Ron Rivera actually explored, however briefly, trying to get Andrew Luck to come out of retirement. So we now know that Carson Wentz's height played a role in the commander's trading for him. Wasn't the end-all be-all necessarily, but did play a role. And that the importance of quarterback height was something that was impressed upon Ron Rivera by Joe Gibbs. We also now know this. Analytics played a role in the commander's trading for Carson Wentz. Yes, analytics. Now, as you know, analytics are very near and dear to my heart. So I have taken particular interest in this item. This was Ron Rivera during his side session with reporters 
last Thursday morning, shortly after Carson Wentz's introductory press conference on why Ron chose to trade for Carson. So, you know, getting an opportunity to look at the analytics and, and studying the numbers. And the thing that was also obvious to us is um, last season, and if you take a number of his seasons that he played as the starter, uh, his numbers keep, kept landing him in the top 10. And, and that was one of the things that we kept looking at and we kept saying, you know, there is something to this. we got to continue to look. And as I said, we spent a lot of time watching a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the tapes on him, not just uh, his last season in Indy, but some of the stuff that uh, we saw from when he was uh, with, with Philly. So. Ron Rivera, in that answer, brought up looking at the analytics and studying the numbers. Uh, Now, John Kahn's article highlighted the commanders having examined Carson Wentz in terms of analytics. Quote, their internal analytics showed Wentz in the top 10 in numerous categories since he was drafted by the Eagles six years ago. But when watching the games, the commanders focused on Wentz's arm, his quick throws, and ability to stretch the field, not to mention his movement, which remained evident even if it might have diminished since suffering back and knee injuries with the Eagles, end quote. Uh, All right, so I have some things to say about this idea of the commanders having used analytics to determine whether the team should trade for Carson Wentz. As you likely know by now, ain't no show or podcast in Washington, D.C. that talks sports analytics like this podcast does. And so I am very glad that the commanders looked at analytics in determining whether the team should trade for Carson Wentz. Now, the word analytics means different things to different people, but by and large, if you're looking at analytics, uh, that certainly suggests that you are looking at advanced statistics, which to me are the stats to be looking at these days. That's the smart thing to do. That's the appropriate thing to do. I mean, if you're a professional sports team in 2022 and you're not making major usage of analytics Uh, I mean, there's something wrong with you at this point, okay? Like, at this point, only the fools are not open to analytics. And something that I really like about Ron Rivera is that he is open to analytics. Now, he doesn't always articulate analytics in the best of ways. I don't know if he himself has a great grasp of football analytics. Maybe he does. I'm just not sure if he does. But I do know that the commanders as a team look at a lot of the pro football focus stuff. And I do know that the commander's senior vice president of football administration, Rob Rogers, has a major background in analytics. Uh, You know, Rob Rogers is a lot more than just the commander's salary cap guy. Rob Rogers is an interesting guy. He's a 1993 graduate of Harvard University, and he, per his bio on the commander's official website, starting in 2013, quote, worked on developing efforts in analytics, football research, and personnel, opponent analysis, and self-scouting, Along with sports science and next-gen statistics, he developed the in-house salary cap management database and also designed the current pro scouting system in Carolina and in the mid-90s worked with in-house developers to design and implement the initial opponent analysis and self-scouting system. Rogers worked extensively with Coach Rivera in Carolina on ongoing efforts to develop game management analysis and practices. End quote. So just going off that bio, Rob Rogers sounds like an NFL analytics pioneer. I mean, he was doing stuff years ago that most teams in the NFL were not doing. So the commanders are in on analytics. Now, where the team ranks in terms of NFL team usage of analytics is hard to say, but the commanders are in on analytics. However, specific to Carson Wentz, uh, there's a lot more that I would like to know about like which analytics uh, the commanders looked at. And we just don't know. 
Now, we on this podcast have looked at Carson Wentz through the prism of analytics, and the results are mixed. Uh, For example, Carson for the 2021 regular season, it was number nine among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 54.7. Number nine, that's really good. However, uh, Carson for the 2021 regular season had an overall grade for pro football focus of 70.9. Uh, That ranked in the bottom half of the NFL in terms of qualified quarterbacks. And that suggests that his good total QBR was fluffed by some good luck. Uh, You know, a lot has been made of Carson for the 2021 regular season having 27 touchdown passes versus seven interceptions. Well, Carson in the 2021 regular season threw a lot of interceptable passes. Uh, He's lucky that that interception total wasn't higher. So when it comes to Carson Wentz in the 2021 regular season, you have to be careful with that at which you look. You know, which analytics that the commanders looked at and how they interpreted those analytics matter a lot. And we just don't have enough information uh, on those things. There's also this. So John Keim regarding the commanders noted that, quote, their internal analytics showed Wentz in the top 10 in numerous categories since he was drafted by the Eagles six years ago. And quote, it's really important to understand the following with analytics. Uh, When you're evaluating a player in terms of where he's at in the present, in the now, uh, looking at his entire career, if he has been around for, say, six seasons, uh, isn't the way to go. One of the first things that I learned when I started embracing sports analytics a little less than 20 years ago is that you really want to look at a player's most recent three seasons. Like, that's it. Now, that's not to say that you should ignore anything that the player did prior to three seasons ago, but things that happened more than three seasons ago are lacking in relevance to the present. And one of my biggest pet peeves with the Carson Wentz conversation has become when people bring up his 2017 season, you know, and say things like, well, he played really well in 2017. Well, if the commanders can just get Carson Wentz back to playing at the level that he played at in 2017. I mean, 2017 was Carson Wentz's best NFL season. And here we are now in the year 2022. 2017 was five years ago. That is a lifetime in the NFL to say nothing of the many injuries with which Carson has dealt since he thrived in that 2017 season. And oh, by the way, there's a belief that Carson benefited from a lot of unsustainable good luck in that 2017 season. So this stuff about Carson Wentz ranking in the top 10 in numerous categories since he was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles six years ago, okay, fine. But what happened in 2016, 2017, and 2018 doesn't matter nearly as much as what happened in 2019, 2020, and 2021. That needs to be understood, okay? You cannot treat 2016, 2017, and 2018 the same way that you treat 2019, 2020, and 2021 when trying to figure out what Carson Wentz is going to provide the commanders in 2022. And I just hope that Ron Rivera and his crew understand that. Uh, But perhaps the most significant and encouraging item from Ron Rivera opening up in recent days about why the commanders traded for Carson Wentz has to do with Ron on the many red flags regarding Carson Wentz. Uh, I have been encouraged by what has come from Ron regarding the Carson red flags. The big question is whether all of this is spin from Ron or legitimate feeling 
from Ron. But if the latter is the case, and that legitimate feeling is correct, then that is huge for us as Commanders fans. Uh, this was Ron Rivera last Thursday morning on why he traded for Carson Wentz, despite the massive red flag of the Commanders being set to be his third team in three seasons. Well, it was very interesting because, you know, when, when you talk to certain people, you talk to um, some some of the coaches he's had in the past that I know very well and, and listen to what they have to say. It was contradictory to what, what was happening. Um, what I found very telling is when two team captains on the team that he's just left come out and, and, and were dumbfounded that he is being traded, but yet had nothing but positive things to say about him, that, that's more than enough as far as I'm concerned um, because the players know. If, if there's one thing that, that, that happens in this league, the players know exactly what's going on. The players know exactly who people are. If you you can't fool them, I can tell you that much. All right, so strong and perhaps very encouraging stuff from Ron Rivera right there on Carson Wentz. Uh, we had this from Ron to Ben Standing, quote, I'm really not concerned with what happened in Philadelphia, and I'm not concerned with what happened in Indianapolis, end quote. Additionally, we had the following from John Kime, quote, during the search, Rivera said he received a balanced scouting report on all facets of Wentz. He talked to Doug Peterson and Frank Wright, two of Wentz's former head coaches, both praised Wentz, extolling his work ethic and saying he wants to please people. It was very interesting, Rivera said, of what he heard. When he talked to certain people, talked to some coaches he's had in the past that I know well and listened to what they have to say, it was contradictory to what was happening. Washington also felt its locker room with low-key veterans would work well with Wentz. And Rivera noticed that after the trade, one of the Colts' captains, Darius Leonard, tweeted in support of Wentz. Rivera said the first call he received after the trade was from Reich. Frank was tremendous, Rivera said. After we made the trade, he said, you're going to love this guy. He's been a good person first and foremost. I want you to know that. My intention was to reach out to him, but he called to congratulate me. After the trade, Rivera had one more conversation with Gibbs, who happened to be in Washington for an event. Rivera said the first thing he told Gibbs was this, we got our guy, end quote. And I tell you what, uh, that last part of the passage that I just read, we got our guy, uh, that is either going to prove to be prophetic from Ron Rivera, or that is going to prove to be a punchline about Ron Rivera. But here's what all of this suggests. And notice that I used the verb suggests and not say confirms, because we don't know if the following is true. But what is being suggested by all of this is that Ron Rivera believes that the Colts moved on from Carson Wentz after just one season, more so due to their owner, Jim Irsay, than their football people, like general manager Chris Ballard and head coach Frank Reich. Now, Personally, I have my doubts about Ballard having been against trading Carson Wentz. I still cannot get past the way that Ballard at his press conference on March 1st at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis talked about Carson, saying that he needed to get better at handling criticism, saying that criticism of him had been fair, saying that he needed to demonstrate growth. But I guess it's possible that Ballard said all of those things just to appease Ursay. The number one question is why the Colts traded Carson Wentz just one year after giving up a 2022 
conditional first round pick and a 2021 third round pick to the Eagles for Carson. If the answer to that question is that Jim Irsay was just being Jim Irsay and Jim Irsay soured on Carson Wentz far more than Chris Ballard and or Frank Reich soured on Carson Wentz, well, that does significantly lessen a lot of my concerns regarding Carson Wentz. But I don't believe that the Colts trading Carson Wentz after just one season with them is as simple as, you know, Jim Irsay happened. Like, I would be shocked if that's really what that trade was all about. I've got to think that there was more to the Colts parting with Carson Wentz after just one season with the team than just the owner having soured on Carson Wentz. But it does sound like Ron Rivera talked to and took into consideration the thoughts of a variety of people regarding Carson Wentz. It does sound like Ron did a lot of due diligence on Carson Wentz, and that's good. That's really good. I mean, let's just hope that the due diligence was proper and accurate uh, due diligence. Uh, Some more from Ron Rivera this past Thursday morning. Here was Ron on what having Carson Wentz as the team's starting quarterback can change or do for the offense. Well, I think one of the things it does for us is it allows us to throw the ball vertical even more so than we had in the past. Um, you know, I know it's a big part of this offense, a big style of this offense. When we were in Carolina, we did some of those things. When I was with uh, Coach Turner, when we were in uh, in San Diego, when the Chargers were there, it was a vertical attack. Um, the vertical attack opens up a lot more things, opens up some things underneath in the passing game, and it opens up some of the running game. You know, knowing that you're not going to be able to put eight guys up in the box, you know, forcing them to choose between five, six, seven guys in the box, it will open up, and, and I think it really helped us to, to attack differently our opponents. We, for years, for years, have been wanting, have been begging, have been yearning for the team now known as the Commanders to have more of a vertical passing game. Uh, Washington has been so lacking in explosive passing plays for years now. If Carson Wentz being the Commanders QB1 puts an end to the team sorely lacking and explosive passing plays, that'll be huge. Of course, someone who you would think would benefit from that, were it to be the case, would be Terry McLaurin, with whom we all want the commanders to agree on a long-term contract extension this offseason. This was Ron Rivera late in a session with reporters on Thursday morning on how he believes trading for Carson Wentz impacts Terry McLaurin's long-term future with the commanders. Oh, I think it helps it. Most certainly it points in the direction. Um, you know, it, his skill set feeds very well into what we what we expect to do with with with, with the offense. It really does. Um, you know, he, he can throw the vertical ball very well, um, but he's also a spot on passer, especially in a quick game. And and again, those are some of Terry's skills that are just tremendous. And and we really think that uh, you know this could be a really good part of it. All right. Now, Ron Rivera right there called Carson Wentz a spot-on passer in the quick game. Uh, That actually has been a criticism of Carson, that he too often misses on the short passes, too often misses on the layups. Uh, We'll see what the case ends up being with the commanders. Uh, We also have this from Ron on Thursday morning, him on whether he sees Carson Wentz as a solution for the commanders at quarterback. I believe it is. I believe it's, it's, it's what we're looking for. Um, his skill set speaks very well for us, um, yeah, especially with what we want to do and how we want to attack our opponents. Um, you know, and, and, and as far as our quarterback position, I like our quarterback position. I think there's a place for the guys that, are, that, that we have on the roster right now. I think Taylor's a guy that's going to be there and help us and be part of our 53 as we go forward. Interesting to hear Rod Rivera make it a point to bring up Taylor Heineke, to bring up Tay-Tay. 
Uh, and then one more for you from Ron last Thursday morning. Here he was on whether the commanders trading for Carson Wentz precludes them from taking a quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft. No, this trade doesn't preclude us from doing anything, but he is our QB1 going forward. And, and again, as he said, and I, and I do hope, I'd love to see this be a very long tenure. I really do, and I mean that. All right, so Ron Rivera did not take the commanders at taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft off the table, but Ron did make it clear that he wants Carson Wentz to be the commanders QB1 for a while. Uh, personally, I want the commanders to take a quarterback in the draft if they like a quarterback in the draft. Uh, having Carson Wentz, to me, is not the reason not to take a quarterback in the draft if the commanders like a quarterback in the draft. Not liking any of the quarterbacks in the draft would be the reason not to take a quarterback in the draft. Uh, oh, by the way, Commanders Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington tweeted the following on Sunday night, quote, even after the Carson Wentz trade Sources tell me the commanders will have representation at the Pro Days this week for QBs Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. Plan is to get to Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter too, but some schedule issues remain, end quote. So the commanders, at the very least, are doing due diligence on the likes of Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. But we now have a better understanding of Ron Rivera's thinking, or at least the thinking that he wants us to think that he had in making the trade for Carson Wentz. The most encouraging thing to me is Ron having spoken with and having taken into consideration the thoughts of a variety of people regarding Carson Wentz. I do have questions about most of the other stuff, uh, but netting it out, if you were down on the trade, do you now feel better about the trade? Uh, I do. I mean, I still have questions, and those questions aren't going to go away unless Carson Wentz plays well for the Commanders, but I am open to the possibility of that happening, and if he does play well for the Commanders, then the Commanders giving up multiple draft picks for Carson and taking on the entirety of Carson's contract, two things that nobody loves, uh, won't be so bad. Up next, more on the Commanders. Bitter Brandon Bean of the Buffalo Bills sounding off on the Commanders over what happened with J.D. McKissick. I have a lot to say about this. I will get to all of it straight ahead. All right, so we all like to eat and need to eat, but we're all dealing with inflation and high gas prices, and we're all busy. So here's a great, affordable, and easy way to have your meals. HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. No more spending the gas in your car and the time in your day on grocery shopping. No more worrying about what to eat and what to feed the kids. And no more spending a lot of money on food. HelloFresh makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit. And HelloFresh is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy or at least eat healthier and you want to eat food that tastes great, you got to try HelloFresh. We eat HelloFresh and love it. We just had it over the weekend. Uh, we got the food and recipes for sweet chili pork and cabbage stir fry, Monterey Jack unfried chicken, 
and pub-style shepherd's pie. The meals were outstanding. Even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh, and all that he ever wants to eat are peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Even he likes HelloFresh meals. Uh, the recipes come on these colorful sheets that you can save and refer back to. Cooking the meals doesn't take long at all. HelloFresh is the way to go. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week. You can customize your orders and HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal on average is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. You can't beat that. Again, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Well, the J.D. McKissick saga on Friday got even more unusual. Uh, No, he did not change his mind again. Uh, He has officially re-signed with the Commanders. The Commanders last Thursday afternoon officially announced the re-signing of J.D. McKissick. But boy, the number of layers to this guy's unrestricted free agency continues to grow. It's hard to remember this much of a hubbub over a third down running back, although McKissick is a lot more than just a third down back. So as you likely know by now, McKissick last Tuesday, what was the second day of the NFL's legal tampering period, agreed on a contract with the Buffalo Bills. But we then on Wednesday, just a few hours before the start of the NFL's new league year at 4 p.m. Eastern, had multiple reports that McKissick had changed his mind and was resigning with the commanders. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter this past Wednesday tweeted the following, quote, background on the change of heart. Washington initially didn't offer J.D. McKissick a deal until he agreed to one in Buffalo per his agents Doug Hendrickson and C.J. LeBoy. Once McKissick heard Washington was willing to match the offer, he didn't want to leave, end quote. And the commanders on Thursday afternoon officially announced the re-signing of McKissick. Well, Bills general manager Brandon Bean, in a press conference on Friday, went off on what happened with J.D. McKissick, but Bean directed his anger at the commanders. Take a listen. Yeah. um, Sal, that was, uh, that was, that was tough. Um, You know, we had, you know, obviously he was a guy we targeted and, um, you know, in this business in general, when you have an agreement, you, it's good. But until there's ink on the paper, and, you know, his agent did a great job. Doug Hendrickson and C.J. LeBoy did a great job. Uh, there were some things that went down with the other organization, which is painful. But uh, they chose to do what they did, and I couldn't stop it. You said it did a great job. Let me ask you, is that, is that in the future just in general, does that, can it hurt major relationships and would it in a situation like that? Yeah, yeah. I've had it before where the agent is, 
has agreed with you on something and then someone else calls and says, hey, what if I add a million dollars? Or what if I do this? Or what if I guarantee this? And the agent, the, once you have an agreement, the agent's supposed to say it's over. And this agent did that. And this agent told the other club it's over. But the other club didn't back off. If you read my... Yeah. All right, so how about all of that? Bitter Brendan Bean. Quote, once you have an agreement, the agent is supposed to say it's over. And this agent did that, but the other club didn't back off. End quote. Uh, That, of course, was Bitter Brendan Bean clearly pointing the finger of blame at the commanders, and what made Bean's comments even more uh, spicy is that Bean has major history with Ron Rivera and also Marty Herney. Uh, Bean worked for the Carolina Panthers from 1998 to 2017. Bean joined the Panthers in their communications department in 1998, rose to assistant general manager in June 2015. Uh, Ron, of course, was Panthers head coach January 2011 to December 2019, and Marty had two stints as Panthers general manager, 2002 to October 2012 and July 2017 to December 2020. So it appears as if there now is heat between Brandon Bean and Ron Rivera, and perhaps Brandon Bean and Marty Herney, and maybe even Sean McDermott and Ron Rivera, and Sean McDermott and Marty Herney. McDermott uh, is the Bills head coach. He was Ron's defensive coordinator with the Panthers from 2011 through 2016. I have three points to make about the J.D. McKissick situation off what bitter Brandon Bean said on Friday. Number one, I find it really funny that Brandon Bean made it a point to not blame J.D. McKissick and his agents. And that very clearly was strategic. Uh, You as a GM benefit in no way from making an enemy out of a player or his agents. But Bean had to target his frustrations at someone or something, and so he directed his anger at the commanders. And I'm sure that Bean is angry at the commanders, but let's make something crystal clear. Nobody forced J.D. McKissick to change his mind and re-sign with the commanders. J.D. McKissick is a big boy, okay? J.D. McKissick is an adult. He can make his own decisions, and his agents acted on McKissick's behalf. So the idea that McKissick and his agents were sweet, innocent little angels in all of this, and the big, bad, meanie-pants commanders made McKissick renege on his agreement with the Bills and re-sign with the commanders is laughable to me, okay? Point number two, I am open to the possibility that the commanders violated unwritten protocol in continuing to negotiate with J.D. McKissick once he agreed to sign with the Bills. I have always wondered why and how this doesn't happen more often in the NFL, because we have this two-day legal tampering period, and then we have the official start of free agency, and so everything that gets reported during the legal tampering period is just that, reported. None of that is official. And so what would stop a team from offering, say, a little more money to a player once he has agreed on a contract with another team? Uh, Now, that said, that doesn't seem to happen with any kind of frequency. And so I do think that it's possible that the commanders took part in some violation of unwritten NFL rule, even though, again, nobody forced J.D. McKissick to change his mind and re-sign with the commanders. I mean, to me, if Brandon Bean is being honest, and he's going to be bitter about this, then he should be angry at the commanders, McKissick, and McKissick's agents. All three parties, not one. Point number three. I really do hope 
that the commanders learn from this situation. Because what pretty clearly happened was, as I discussed on last Thursday's show, episode 273, failure to communicate. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Yes, as was said in a movie, Cool Hand Luke, many years ago, what we've got here is failure to communicate. And I got scolded by many of you for never having seen the movie Cool Hand Luke. I still have not seen the movie Cool Hand Luke. I got to make it a point to see that movie. Anyway, yes, failure to communicate. It's pretty clear by now what happened here. The commanders slow played their negotiations with J.D. McKissick. The approach from the team seemed to be to have McKissick see what he could get elsewhere and then come back to the commanders who were preparing for the possibility of trading for quarterback Carson Wentz and thus needed to be careful with their salary cap space. Well, somewhere along the way, the commanders and McKissick lost touch. And that should have never happened. And that is on the commanders. Okay. Now, how this happens with an NFL team in the commanders uh, that has all of these current and former general managers in the front office in, you know, Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney and Chris Polian, to say nothing of Ron Rivera presiding above all of those guys via the coach-centric approach is beyond me. Okay. Like that kind of thing should never happen, especially in an organization with all of these current and former GMs that really shouldn't happen. Uh, Now, Ron Rivera, in a side session with reporters last Thursday morning, shortly after Carson Wentz's introductory press conference, got asked to walk us through what exactly happened in this J.D. McKissick situation. Here was Ron's response. I, I, you know, that's something that you'll have to talk to J.D. about more so than anything else. But, you know, knowing that he wanted to come back, that was probably the biggest thing. Yeah, and the commanders are lucky that J.D. McKissick wanted to come back. So I think pretty clearly what happened here is the commanders stopped communicating with J.D. McKissick for whatever reason, realized that they had screwed things up. He agrees on this deal with the Bills. The commanders then say, oh gosh, we screwed this up. Let's at least let J.D. McKissick know that we wanted him back. Well, they do that. And then McKissick apparently really wanted to come back. And so he ends up agreeing to come back to the commanders. The commanders are lucky that J.D. McKissick so wanted to re-sign with the team and was willing to put ego aside and re-sign with the team off the commanders having made it seem like they really weren't that interested in re-signing McKissick. But here's the bottom line if you're the commanders. If you're going to play little games in these negotiations, if you're going to slow play negotiations and you're going to tell the player to see what he can get from another team, but you still want to re-sign the player, then the onus is on you to stay in contact with the player and make sure that he doesn't just strike a deal with another team. You know, if you want to re-sign the guy, make sure that you stay in contact with the guy. Do not be done in by failure to communicate. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Exactly. Thank you. So I hope that the commanders have learned from this J.D. McKissick saga. And as for bitter Brandon Bean... Uh, go ahead and be bitter. I mean, I get it. From his standpoint, he has reason to be bitter. But spare me the idea that this is all on the commanders and not at all on J.D. McKissick or his agents. I also think, by the way, that Brandon Bean is bitter because ultimately, J.D. McKissick chose the commanders over 
the Bills. I mean, think about this for a moment. J.D. McKissick chose the Commanders over the Super Bowl contending Bills. J.D. McKissick chose the Carson Wentz quarterback Commanders over the Josh Allen quarterback Bills. And for the same money, it's not like the Commanders went back at McKissick and offered him a bunch more money. Same money, same contract. Uh, That's got to sting just a bit if you are the Bills. Well, up next, speaking of stinging, uh, the Commanders have lost another major sponsor, presumably due to the workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, You've heard the phrase, follow the money? Well, if the money is leaving, might Dan Snyder eventually be leaving as well? I'll get to that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So many years ago, Budweiser had an advertising campaign centered around the slogan, Proud to be your bud. Do you happen to remember that? You have to be like at least 35 to remember that. Uh, This is going back to like 1993, 1994. Proud to be your bud. Here was the hook of the song. Proud to be your bud. Proud to be your bud. I love how emotional the lead singer of that song got in singing that song. But proud to be your bud. And that was, of course, a play on words with the idea being that Budweiser was produced to be your beer and was proud to be your buddy because beer is your buddy and nothing but good things happen when you drink beer. (laughs) Well, here we are in March 2022. And guess for whom Budweiser is no longer proud to be a bud. 
our commanders. Yes, the commanders no longer are Bud Worthy. Uh, Budweiser and Bud Light are produced by Anheuser-Busch. We on Friday learned that Anheuser-Busch has decided to no longer sponsor the Commanders. This is a big deal. A really big deal. Anheuser-Busch had been one of the Commanders' biggest corporate sponsors. Anheuser-Busch, in fact, is the official beer sponsor of the National Football League. So the official beer sponsor of the NFL has dropped the commanders, said Anheuser-Busch in a statement on Friday, quote, Anheuser-Busch has decided not to renew its sponsorship of the Washington commanders team at this time. We remain fully committed to Washington football fans, and we look forward to continuing our long-term partnership with the NFL and our other 26 team partners to create meaningful experiences and connections for fans across the country, end quote. So note that not only is Anheuser-Busch the official beer sponsor of the NFL, Anheuser-Busch also sponsors 26 NFL teams. 26! There are 32 teams in the NFL. Anheuser-Busch sponsors 26 of those teams, but not one of those teams is the Commanders. No, Anheuser-Busch is not proud to be the commander's bud, not no more. Uh, Said the commanders in a statement on Friday, quote, we're exploring options in the alcohol category and looking for a strategic partner that will join us in the next era of Washington football as we play our first season as the Washington commanders and prepare to develop a new venue. The team believes there is tremendous upside in the alcohol sponsorship category for the commanders. End quote. So this does seem to be a case of Anheuser-Busch dropping the commanders and not the other way around. Uh, Anheuser-Busch certainly seems to be the dumper. The commanders certainly seem to be the dumpy. And while we can't say with certainty why Anheuser-Busch has dumped the commanders, logic would suggest that the reason is the workplace misconduct scandal. I mean, why else would Anheuser-Busch dump the Commanders? Anheuser-Busch had sponsored the Commanders for years, and I mean years. You know, when the Team 980 was essentially owned by the Redskins, we used to have these elaborate pregame parties at FedEx Field, and at the parties, there was unlimited Bud Light, okay? And I mean countless bottles of Bud Light. Now, I was working on Redskins game days. I was doing the official Redskins postgame show, so I sadly did not partake in the pounding of the Bud Lights, but I know plenty of people who did. Uh, My wife and her friends went to some games and attended some of the pregame parties and I believe drank the team dry, but uh, the Bud Lights were everywhere. Heck, there was a section at FedEx Field known as the Bud Light Pavilion, and now Anheuser-Busch has dumped the Commanders. Now, if in fact Anheuser-Busch has dumped the Commanders over the workplace misconduct scandal... I do think that it's kind of funny that a beer company is taking the moral high ground on the commanders, okay? I mean, that is comical, all right? But it also says something, right? Even a beer company doesn't want to be associated with the commanders. And if, in fact, Anheuser-Busch has dumped the commanders over the workplace misconduct scandal, then Anheuser-Busch has become the second major sponsor to leave the team over the scandal. 
Uh, we in February learned that Medlimital, a medical billing compliance company out of Manassas, Virginia, was no longer a sponsor of the Commanders. Uh, Joe Theismann has done work for Medlimital. An email from Medlimital made the rounds uh, back in February. The email included the following, quote, Medlimital will not be continuing its partnership with the Washington Commanders for the 2022-2023 season. And indefinitely going forward, we are sincerely disappointed in the Commander's handling of both the facts and allegations surrounding their organization End quote. So whereas Anheuser-Busch didn't come out and flat out say that the workplace misconduct scandal was the reason for the discontinuing of the partnership, Medlimital did come out and say, yes, the workplace misconduct scandal is the reason for the discontinuing of the partnership. But let's be honest, Medlimital is one thing, Anheuser-Busch is another, okay? Anheuser-Busch dumping the commanders is very significant. And when sponsors start dropping, and the scandal is costing the team and the NFL actual real money, that's when things truly get real, okay? Forget about, you know, the morality of the workplace misconduct scandal, okay? Forget about, like, doing what's right, okay? Uh, Let's just boil this down to one thing, and it's the thing that seemingly always matters the most, right? Money. When money starts going bye-bye, when the scandal starts costing the team and the league actual real money, that's when things truly get real. And that's the kind of thing that could push the NFL over the edge regarding getting rid of Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders. Now, the big question, of course, is are other sponsors going to follow MedLiminal's and Anheuser-Busch's lead. We shall see. But, you know, Medliminal happened. Now Anheuser-Busch has happened. And if Anheuser-Busch can happen, then it feels like just about any sponsor leaving the commanders could happen. Remember, one of the reasons that the name of the team is no longer Redskins is that sponsors started falling in various forms. And the domino effect was significant. Now, put aside the reasons for those sponsors falling, but those sponsors did fall. And again, in various forms. FedEx didn't leave the team, but FedEx put out that statement saying that the team needed to change its name. Are we seeing something similar here with this workplace misconduct scandal, where one by one, sponsors are falling, and that ultimately leads to massive change? Hard to say. Okay, we're certainly not there yet, but To me, this is possible. Like, I don't think you can dismiss the possibility of this. Again, Anheuser-Busch dumping the commanders is very significant. Bud is the commander's bud. No more. No. Uh, Unfortunately for Dan Snyder, Anheuser-Busch is not proud to be the commander's bud. Not anymore. All right, time now to discuss the non-commander's items from our Washington, D.C. Sports Weekend. We begin with the Capitals. Two games for the Caps over the weekend. Friday night, a 4-3 shootout win at the Metropolitan Division-leading Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, This was a really nice win for the Caps. They were playing in the second game in a set of back-to-back road games, and the team 
in that second game of the back-to-back road games, one at the top team in the Metro. Uh, the win improved the Caps to 7-0-1 over their previous seven games. The win improved the Caps to 13-5-1 against Metropolitan Division opponents this season. And the win improved the Caps to 27-5 on the road this season. Uh, however, uh, the Caps got cooled off on Sunday evening, a 3-2 loss to the Dallas Stars at Capital One Arena. Uh, this loss was the Caps' first regulation loss in nine games. Uh, remember when the Caps were in that rut during which the team kept losing in regulation? The Caps had not lost in regulation in each of the team's previous eight games. Uh, the Caps did not have a good first period on Sunday evening. They lost the first period 2 nothing. They, in the first period, per natural stat trick, had just 12 five-on-five shot attempts to the Stars, 20. Uh, so the Caps this season now are 35, 19, and 10 and have 80 points, uh, one point behind the Boston Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference, 13 points ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. So the top two wildcard teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. When it comes to the Metro, so also on Sunday night was the New York Rangers winning at the Hurricanes 2-0. So the Caps are fourth in the Metro, eight points behind the first place Hurricanes, five points behind the Rangers and Pittsburgh Penguins, who are tied for second at 85 points. Unfortunately, the Caps now are back to being banged up quite a bit. Uh, the Caps have dealt with a lot this season in the way of injury and absence, and the Caps now are back to dealing with a lot in the way of injury. The Caps on Sunday evening were without two new players due to injury. Center Nick Dowd did not play due to an upper body injury, and defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk did not play due to an upper body injury. Uh, also forward TJ Oshie did not play for a second consecutive game due to a lower body injury that he suffered in the Caps 7-2 win at the Blue Jackets last Thursday night. Uh, also forward Carl Haglin remains out indefinitely of having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. He suffered the injury in practice earlier that day. And forward Joe Snively is out due to a left wrist injury. Uh, the Caps on March 6th announced that he had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. Now, center Lars Eller on Sunday evening was back. He returned from a three-game absence that was caused by him being on the NHL's COVID-19 protocol list. But the Caps, once again this season, are minus a lot of key players. And so something like the penalty kill suffers. Some of those guys who I just mentioned are key penalty killers. And the Caps, in this 3-2 loss to the Stars at Capital and Arena on Sunday evening, went just one of three on the penalty kill. However, Continuing to shine for the Caps are Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov. Uh, each guy is having a really good season. Each guy was very productive over the weekend. Uh, Ovechkin in the 4-3 shootout win at the Hurricanes on Friday night totaled just two shots on goal and just three shot attempts, but he scored a game-tying third-period power play goal and scored the game-winning goal in the shootout. And then Ovechkin in the 3-2 loss to the Stars at Capital Win Arena on Sunday evening had a second-period power play goal and five shots on goal. And per natural stat trick, finished number two on the Caps. And Five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 61.54. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 16 shot attempts versus allowing 10 shot attempts. But Ovechkin's goal on Sunday evening was yet another milestone goal. The goal was his 40th goal of the season. So Alex Ovechkin now has 12 career 40-goal regular seasons. That ties Wayne Gretzky for the most 40-goal regular seasons 
in NHL history. And understand, Wayne Gretzky played in much more of an offensive environment than Alex Ovechkin played in. So Wayne Gretzky having 12 40-goal regular seasons in his NHL career is one thing. Alex Ovechkin having 12 40-goal regular seasons in his NHL career is another thing. It is a more impressive thing. Uh, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Sunday night on Alex Ovechkin. I mean, he's been he's been consistent from start to finish with this game. Um, pretty pretty incredible accomplishment, you know. Um, but he's been a for me. It's been a consistent thing that we've seen from training camp right from the start of the season right through now. Yeah, Alex Ovechkin this season now is number four in the NHL with 40 goals and is tied for number seven in the NHL with 76 points. Uh, Ovi's goal on Sunday evening was a power play goal. The Caps went one of five on the power play, so the Caps' power play remains hot. Caps now are 20 of 66, 30.3% on the power play over their last 20 games. And then with Evgeny Kuznetsov over the weekend, uh, he in the 4-3 shootout win at the Hurricanes on Friday night had a first period even trend goal. He did commit a slashing penalty in overtime, but he also took a nasty hit from Hurricanes defenseman Brendan Smith into the boards. And Kuznetsov in the 3-2 loss to the Stars at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening had the secondary assist on Alex Ovechkin's second period power play goal. Kuzi also had a game-high six shots on goal and a game-high tying 10 shot attempts. If Genny Kuznetsov is having a really nice season, his assist on Sunday evening gives him a career-best nine-game regular season point streak. Uh, this was a so-so weekend for Cavs goaltending. Ilya Samsonov was the Cavs starting goaltender in the 4-3 shootout win at the Hurricanes on Friday night. Uh, he, in that game, was a Cavs starting goaltender for just the second time in eight games. He stopped just 17 of the 20 shots on goal that he faced. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, gave up a goal on a high danger shot on goal, gave up two goals on medium danger shots on goal. Caps went 2-2 two two on the penalty kill in that game. And then Vitek Vanacek was the Caps starting goaltender in the 3-2 loss to the Stars at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening. Uh, Vanacek in that game was the Caps starting goaltender for a seventh time in nine games. He stopped 20 of the 23 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek, for natural stat trick, stopped just six of the nine high danger shots on goal that he faced, although two of the goals that he gave up were Stars' power play goals. But uh, neither Caps game over the weekend featured really great goaltending. Uh, the Caps in the 4-3 shootout win at the Hurricanes on Friday night did win the puck possession battle decisively. The Caps, per natural stat trick, 47 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Hurricanes, 37. Caps totaled 40 shots on goal to the Hurricanes 20. Uh, now, the puck possession battle for the 3-2 loss to the Stars at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening was about even in terms of 5-on-5 five five play, but the Caps, because they had five power plays, totaled 38 shots on goal to the Stars 23. So the Caps, over their two games over the weekend, outshot the opposition by a combined 78 shots on goal to the opposing team's combined 43 shots on goal. Uh, next up for the Caps, home to the St. Louis Blues, Tuesday night at 7. All right, let's talk some Wizards. Uh, they now are 30-40 and 40 this season. Uh, the Wizards have just 12 games left in the 2021-2022 
NBA regular season. Wizards are five games out of 10th in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Teams 7 through 10 in each conference will make the play-in tournament for the NBA playoffs. Uh, The Wizards, as we have discussed on the podcast, are much better off not making the play-in tournament this season and are much better off not making the NBA playoffs this season. Uh, What you want, to me, if you're a Wizards fan, is for them to just get as many ping-pong balls in the NBA draft lottery as are realistically possible. But the Wizards on Saturday night did author one of their better wins of the season. It was funny. The Wizards played back-to-back games over the weekend. Uh, The Wiz in their game on Friday night fell short in a major comeback effort in the fourth quarter. But the Wiz on Saturday night came through in their comeback effort in the fourth quarter. So Friday night, the Wizards lost at the New York Knicks 197. Uh, This was a sixth consecutive loss for the Wizards. Uh, This was a ninth loss in 11 games for the Wizards. So the Wizards fell to just 19 and 37 since their 10 and 3 start to the season. The Wizards fell to a season worst 11 games under 500, but the Wizards nearly pulled off a tremendous come from behind win. The Wizards trailed by 15 points at 96-81 with less than four minutes left in the fourth quarter, then went on a furious run to cut their deficit to one point at 98-97 with less than a minute left in the fourth quarter, but then did not come through with the win. A disappointing game for the Wizards in terms of to whom the Wiz lost. The Knicks are not a good team. The Knicks came into the game just 29-40 this season and were without the likes of Derrick Rose and Cam Reddish. But then on Saturday night, the Wizards beat the Los Angeles Lakers, 127-119 at Capital One Arena. The Wizards snapped their six-game losing streak. The Wizards won for just the third time in 12 games. And the Wizards did this in come-from-behind fashion. The Wizards overcame a 15-point third-quarter deficit. The Wizards won the fourth quarter 34-20. And the Wizards beat the Lakers on Saturday night despite being without the former Laker, Kyle Kuzma. Uh, he did not play Due to right knee tendonitis, uh, Kuzma in the loss at the Knicks on Friday night was a big part of that Wizards fourth quarter comeback. Kuzma in that game during the fourth quarter, three of five on threes. Uh, He, for the game, went four, nine on threes, finished with 18 points, nine assists, and five rebounds in 35 minutes, three seconds as a starter. He did go just two of eight on twos, did commit four turnovers, but the Wizards beat the Lakers on Saturday night while being without Kuzma and also while being without Bradley Beal, right, who was out for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery on February 10th. Now, the Lakers were without Anthony Davis due to his midfoot sprain of his right foot, but still, uh, this was an impressive win for the Wizards. A strange weekend for the Wizards defensively. Uh, Their defense lately has not been good. We've talked a lot about that, but the game in which the Wizards were good defensively, the Wizards lost. The game in which the Wizards were bad defensively, the Wizards won. Uh, The Wizards' defense was good in that loss at the Knicks on Friday night. The Wizards held the Knicks to just 10 of 33 on threes and just 21 of 57 on twos. In fact, how about this? The Wizards held the Knicks to an overall shooting percentage of just 34.4%, lowest field goal percentage for any NBA team in a victory this regular season up until that point in the season. Now, the Wizards did allow for the Knicks to attempt 36 free throws. So the Knicks went 28 to 36 on free throws. The Wizards went 16 to 21 on free throws. So the Wizards got outscored in terms of free throw points, 28-16. Another big thing in that loss at the Knicks on Friday night was offensive rebounding. The Wizards got like eviscerated on the offensive last. The Wizards totaled just three offensive rebounds to the Knicks, 19, and thus just four second chance points to the Knicks, 20. Uh, rebounding has been a real issue for the Wizards. Uh, offensive rebounding 
at times in particular. And then in the win over the Lakers at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night, the Wizards won despite their defense uh, mostly struggling. Uh, the Wizards allowed the Lakers to go 13 to 35 on threes. The Wiz allowed the Lakers to go 29 to 37 in the paint and got outscored in the paint 58 40. Uh, the Wizards got worked by the King, LeBron James. For a second consecutive weekend, LeBron went 4-10 on threes, 12-19 on twos, 2-3 on free throws, finished with 38 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists versus 2 turnovers and 35-53 as a starter. Remember, the Wizards lost at the Lakers 122-109 on March 11th. LeBron in that game scored 50 points, as in 5-0 points. Uh, also, the Wizards in their win over the Lakers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night allowed the former Wizard, Russell Westbrook, in his first game at Capital One Arena since being traded by the Wizards to have a good game. Uh, Westbrook has not had a good season, but he was pretty good on Saturday night. Two or three on threes, eight of 12 on twos. He finished with 22 points, 10 rebounds, and eight assists in 36-37 as a starter. He did commit five turnovers. But the Wizards offense in their win over the Lakers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night was great. Uh, the Wizards were very mixed offensively in the loss at the Knicks on Friday night. Wizards offense was good in the first and fourth quarters of that game, but was terrible in the second and third quarters of that game. But the Wizards on Saturday night had really one of their best offensive games of the season. 13-31 on threes, 31-54 on twos. Uh, the Wizards did a terrific job of generating and making free throws. The Wizards went 26 of 31 on free throws. The Lakers went 10 of 11 on free throws. And the Wizards finished with 30 assists versus eight turnovers. I mean, really good offense for the Wizards in that win over the Lakers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. Good weekend for Chris Stapps Porzingis. Uh, he and the loss at the Knicks on Friday night, two of five on threes, three of four on twos, six of six on free throws. He finished with 18 points and 11 rebounds in 28-54 as a starter. Seven of his rebounds came in the fourth quarter. And then Porzingis in the win over the Lakers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night again was good in the fourth quarter. Uh, Porzingis in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won 34-20 scored 16 points. Uh, he for the game Went 1-3 of three on threes, 8-14 of 14 on twos, 8-10 of 10 on free throws. Finished with 27 points, 5 assists versus 2 turnovers and 3 rebounds in 25-54 as a starter. That's pretty good. 27 points in 25 minutes, 54 seconds of playing time. Uh, next weekend for Contavious Caldwell-Popey in the loss at the Knicks on Friday night. Went just 1-5 of five on threes, had just 9 points and 3 rebounds in 37-07. As a starter, did go three or four on twos, did have two blocks. But KCP in the win over his former team, the Lakers, at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. Three of five on threes, seven to nine on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists versus one turnover in 32-47. As a starter, did go just one of six on twos. Also key for the Wizards on Saturday night was their bench. Uh, the Wizards bench was so impressive. Thomas Sadoransky, Daniel Gafford, Deddy Avdia and Ish Smith all coming through. Uh, Thomas Sadoransky in 26-44 off the bench. 2-2 two two on threes, 4-4 four four on twos, 2-2 two two on free throws. So he didn't miss a single shot on Saturday night. He finished with 16 points, 6 assists versus no turnovers, 3 rebounds, 2 steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 23. Daniel Gafford in 21-37 off the bench, 7-9 from the field, all twos. He finished with 17 points. And six rebounds. By the way, Thomas Bryant did not play at all over the weekend. He now has been a DNPCD in five 
of the Wizards' last seven games. Denny Avdia on Saturday night, 31-43 off the bench, 3 of 8 on threes, 6 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, 4 assists versus no turnovers, and 4 rebounds. He did go just 1 of 6 on twos. And Ish Smith on Saturday night, 25-39 off the bench, 0 of 2 on threes, but 2 of 4 on twos. He finished with 4 points, 5 assists versus no turnovers, and five rebounds. Ish Smith continues to rack up the assists and minimize the turnovers. Ish Smith now, over 16 games since being reacquired by the Wizards on NBA trade deadline day on February 10th, has, you ready for this, 78 assists versus just 20 turnovers. An assist-to-turnover ratio of nearly 4-1. to one. 78 assists versus 20 turnovers over his 16 games since being reacquired by the Wizards on NBA trade deadline day on February 10th. Not bad. And consider this, Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. on Saturday night in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won 34-20, played Thomas Sadoransky, Denny Avdia, and Ish Smith for the entirety of the fourth quarter. This big come-from-behind win for the Wizards over the Lakers at Capital Win Arena on Saturday night came via a fourth quarter that the Wizards won by 14 points. And the Wizards in that fourth quarter played three bench guys for the entire fourth quarter. Thomas Sadoransky, Denny Avdia, and Ish Smith. Here was West Jr. during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on the Wizards bench. That's big. I mean, that's a big lift for us. And, you know, our bench has shown that time and time again this season. Um, To get that, you know, consistently is where we want to be. But we needed all of it tonight, which was, uh, it's a good sign. You know, it's... The best part about it, honestly, that you know our offense was was clicking. The fact that our fourth quarter defense, we held them 20 points, 42 from the field, um, and overall we were the aggressor. We got to the line 30 plus times, um, but it didn't detract from how we wanted to play. We went to KP late, but you know we had 30 assists, so the ball kept moving. You know throughout the game, that's important. I think that that's when we are uh, extremely efficient. Yeah, again, uh, the Wizards on Saturday night, 30 assists versus eight turnovers. Excellent offense for the Wizards in that win over the Lakers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. Uh, Next up for the Wizards is a game on Monday night and at the worst team in the NBA. Uh, The Wizards will be at the NBA worst Houston Rockets Monday night at 8. And before we call it a show, let us uh, put a bow on the Virginia Tech basketball season. So the Hokies did not make a run in their 2022 NCAA tournament. Uh, Number 11 seeded Virginia Tech lost to number 6 seeded Texas, 81-73 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on Friday in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, The Hokies never led in the second half. They got to within a point of Texas at 39-38, but the Hokies that allowed Texas to go on a 25-9 run for a 17-point deficit at 64-47. Uh, the Hokies' defense was a problem in this game. The Hokies allowed Texas to go 10 of 19 on threes, although one of Texas's <laughs> made threes was an incredible three by this kid, Marcus Carr, from well beyond half court as time expired in the first half. That was some shot. If you watched the game or if you at least watched the highlights of the game, you know of what I speak. A car is a Minnesota transfer. He's from Toronto and he basically made that shot from Toronto. Uh, That was some shot. That was like a three quarters court three 
that Marcus Carr connected on as time expired at the end of the first half. Uh, the Hokies allowed Texas in the second half to go 13-19 and on twos. And the Hokies had a really hard time with Andrew Jones of Texas. Andrew Jones went 5-7 on threes, finished with 21 points and five rebounds. Andrew Jones is a tremendous story. This season, Jones's sixth season at Texas, he in January 2018 was diagnosed with leukemia. So what a job by him to come back from that. But Tech's defense on Friday was not very good, and Tech's offense on Friday was mixed. The Hokies went just 4-12 on threes. Four Hokie starters, Kevin Aluma, Justin Mutz, Hunter Couture, and Storm Murphy combined for all 13 of Tech's turnovers. Uh, now, Tech did go 19-35 on twos, did go 23-26 on free throws, but all of that did not prove to be enough for a victory. Uh, two standouts for Tech were Kevin Aluma and Sean Padula. Uh, Aluma went 7-10 from the field all twos. He finished with 15 points and six rebounds in 30 minutes as a starter. Did have one assist versus three turnovers. And Padula was tremendous off the bench. He in just 19 minutes off the bench had 19 points and two rebounds. Uh, he went 0-3 on twos, but 3-6 on threes and 10 of 10 on free throws. So yes, I mean, it was disappointing to see Virginia Tech be one and done in the NCAA tournament. But if you're a Hokies fan, I mean, would you not have signed up for what ended up happening with the team this season off the 2-7 and seven start in ACC play? Like, if you'd been given a piece of paper at 2-7 and seven in the ACC and been told that by signing that piece of paper, the Hokies would end up going 13-2 and two in ACC games the rest of this season when you combine the regular season in the ACC tournament, which the Hokies would win... Uh, but they then would lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament, would you not have signed that piece of paper? Uh, I'm thinking that the answer is yes. Uh, this is the fifth straight NCAA tournament that includes Virginia Tech. That is a far cry from what Hokies basketball had been. Tech, prior to the start of the 2016-2017 season, had made the NCAA tournament just one time over the previous 20 seasons and just two times over the previous 30 seasons. Well, now Tech has made the NCAA tournament in each of the last five seasons in which there has been an NCAA tournament. And Tech has done this despite a head coaching change. Don't forget that. The Hokies head coach for the start of this resurgence, Buzz Williams, left after their 2018-2019 season, his fifth season as Tech's head coach to become Texas A&M's head coach. Tech then hired Mike Young away from Wofford. And Young has done a really nice job. So yeah, the loss to Texas on Friday was disappointing, but hard to be disappointed uh, with the bigger picture of Virginia Tech basketball. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 276, will feature much more on the Commanders. We'll see if Maryland's hiring of Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard as Terrapins head coach becomes official on Monday. And I on Tuesday show, we'll talk Wizards. Oh, the Wiz will be at the NBA worst Houston Rockets Monday night at 8. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. There were some things that went down with the other organization which is painful, but uh, they chose to do what they did, and I couldn't stop it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.